0: thanks Adam. If you have a Bible you want to open up to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Over the last few years I've taken this Sunday, um, this typically is the one between Christmas and New Year, although today it falls on New Year's Day, and have used this Sunday as an opportunity to talk specifically about something pastoral that's either on my heart for our congregation specifically. It Some years has been something on my heart that we see happening like in the larger Big C Church more collectively. Uh, sometimes it's been something that I've been, you know, walking through personally in the last season. And so in 2018, we talked about mental health. In 2019, uh, it was about Sabbath and rest In 2020, we talked about like kind of uh, sort of celebrity Christianity and some of the things that were happening in the larger church world in our nation. And then last year, we just talked about the church as an entity and like, what's it for? (laughs) What's its purpose? Why would we do this with one another? And so I wanna continue that rhythm this morning, but the slant is a little bit different than it has been in previous years. And so if you've got Psalm 119 open there in front of you, um, it's 176 verses long. I'm just gonna read the first eight. Here's what it says. How happy are those... Whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. Let's pray. God, would you meet us with your grace this morning? God, grace to focus our hearts. God, grace to be attentive to your word and your spirit. God, would you give us grace even as maybe we had later nights than usual Last night, God, so just even the grace to be like alert and focused this morning. God, would you meet us with your grace and your word? Teach us, encourage us, awaken our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My hope this morning and sort of with this particular sermon this year is to capitalize a little bit on. Uh, like the momentum of the new year, since this falls on New Year's Day, potentially to capitalize on the momentum that you maybe have in your own heart and mind as it relates to like new resolutions or goals or habits or however it is that you phrase those things in your life. But specifically, as those relate to maybe a new Bible reading plan or commitment that you might be stepping into this morning. And so I want to start with an encouragement. There are many good and important things that you may be wanting to set uh, into motion or give a new trajectory to in the new year. Health, finances, diet, relationships, business goals, parenting, family, rhythms within your household, all of those are wonderful things. But if I may ever so gently push a little bit, Nothing is more important than the rhythms you set for your relationship with the Lord and the care for your soul. Now that might sound a little bit like preacher talk, like I'm contractually obligated to stand up here and say something like that. But I think the primary reason that that sounds like preacher talk is because we think far too lowly about those things. We think far too little about the importance of our relationship with the Lord. We think far too little about the care of our souls. And the challenge is understandable. Those are easy things to neglect. In the crush of life, our spiritual rhythms and disciplines and habits make far less noise than just about everything else. Look, if the calendar is packed, you still have to find a way to get your children from place to place and to be present when it's time to pick them up or to make sure that somebody else is present when it's time to pick them up. If your diet is bad, at some point your body starts to let you know, like, hey, we don't feel good. If you made a commitment to going to the gym and that starts to slide a little bit, the scale reminds you. If you're trying to manage your money in some new ways... Eventually, the mobile banking app lets you know if you're on track or not. When life gets busy or the novelty of a new discipline starts to wane, it's really easy for your Bible reading plan to grind to a halt. Oftentimes not intentionally, but because you put it off, put it off, put it off, you got X number of days behind, it feels like an overwhelming mountain to climb to get back on to the right day, and so you just part with it. It's easy for your prayer time to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink until it's non-existent. It's easy for the journal to sit unopened, for your small group meeting to get lost in the wash, for your church attendance to take a back seat to the need for just one calm morning. Look, all of those things are good rhythms. Right, again, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to tell you that reading your Bible and praying and journaling, being in community, gathering for worship, taking a day of rest or Sabbath, I'm supposed to tell you that those are all fantastic ways to care for your soul and that we should make them priorities. But even more than that, like those are rhythms that have been passed down throughout church history because they work. Like they work when it comes to caring for the most valuable things you have your relationship with the Lord, and your soul. Jesus said it himself. What will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Everything else you've got is temporary. It's bound to this fading and passing world. Your soul is the one thing you've got on deck that's going with you into eternity. Nothing else. Your relationship with the Lord is the relationship that's going to last longest. Longer than your relationship to the children you're parenting, longer than your relationship to the body you're trying to get in shape, longer than your relationship to the resources you've been given in this life, longer than your relationship to the career you give so much of your time to or the hobby you're trying to cultivate. Longer than your relationship with your spouse. I'm trying to just be logical. Like, doesn't it make sense that the eternal things in your life would get the best of your energy rather than being the first thing jettisoned when other things clamor for attention? Now, hear me correctly. My hope isn't to lay like a 40-minute guilt trip on you this morning. My hope this morning is to give you both some inspiration as well as some very concrete handles to grab hold of when it, comes for, when it comes to caring for, tending to, settling, and cultivating both your relationship with the Lord and your soul. Why? Because doing either one of those things is never going to get easier. We delude ourselves at every season of life into thinking that the next season is the one in which making the time and space for those things will finally get easier. I'm in high school, but when I get to college, it'll be easier. Ask someone in college. No, it won't. I'm in college, and I've got more free time than I'm ever going to have in my life. But when I get a career, then it will finally be easier. Ask anyone with a job. No, it won't. Uh, We've got really young kids. When the kids get older, yeah, (laughs) ask someone with older kids. It won't. It's never going to get easier. Your spiritual rhythms are never going to make visible vocal demands like other aspects of your life. Over the last year, I've referenced this at times in different sermons, but our, the guys in our small group, there were like nine of us, we read through the Bible in a year together and we used the YouVersion app as a place to like all have the same plan and comment and whatnot. And we got breakfast on Friday <clears throat> to celebrate the fact that we were wrapping up that uh, kind of journey together. And most days... Like as we went around the table and we were sort of talking about things. Pretty much everybody acknowledged. Yeah, most, most days were like just a day. I mean, there was no like incredible light bulb moment where like everything in life suddenly became clear as I was reading God's word. I mean, sometimes there were little nuggets and we would comment things into the app. But on the whole, at the same time, everybody around the table said it was the best thing they did in 2022. Why? Because our souls needed it daily, because it continually awakened our hearts to the beauty of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. Just as importantly, because it reminded us of the reality of who we are, which is far less lovely than we like to think of ourselves. It also gave us insight into our brothers in Christ and how we could be praying for one another. The most transformative rhythm you can cultivate in your life is a rhythm of meeting with God in prayer and in the pages of scripture. There's no magic formula to it. There's not one particular reading plan that like unlocks all the goodness of that. There's not a certain number of minutes in prayer that suddenly makes that an easier experience. Missing a day doesn't mean that you don't love God. His grace does not hinge on the percentage of, of days that you make this happen. His faithfulness and goodness does not ebb and flow with your schedule in your calendar. But every single time you turn to Him, He'll be there ready to meet you. Every single time. The reality is that sometimes we just don't know where to start or what to do. It's, Sometimes those of us who have been walking with Jesus for decades don't know what to pray. (laughs) Sometimes those who have been reading the Bible for years have no clue what they just read, why it matters, or how to apply it to their life. Often, our time in prayer feels rote, robotic. Many days, our attempts to read Scripture or to pray end up being unfocused, interrupted, and nothing like what we think it's supposed to look like. It's easy to think that someone else's routine is better, that their knowledge of Scripture probably makes their routine easier, or that their outward appearances of faithfulness tell the whole story of their inward reality. And all of those are lies. Everyone in this room, pastor included, is just sort of trudging forward, trying to be as faithful as possible, to follow Jesus as genuinely as possible. And so we can banish the comparison game. I'm not here to play that this morning. What I want to do is turn to Psalm 119 and offer you a string of prayers. These come directly out of Scripture. Most of them, regardless of what topic they start with, turn back to Scripture. Psalm 119 is an acrostic. There are 22 different eight-verse stanzas. And so each one of those stanzas starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet and then is followed by eight verses. And then you get the next letter. They're full of prayers and reflections on the Word of God. And inside Psalm 119, there are a whole bunch of different words used to talk about the Word of God. Eight of them are very common. Law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commands, ordinances, word, and promises. I make mention of that so that as we look at these prayers, we won't get lost in the different verbiage that's used to talk about God's word. Two final notes. The first one is this. I've broken these prayers into four categories. There are more uh, categories or topics or seasons of life covered in Psalm 119. I've broken them into these four different categories simply because they're the ones that resonate with my heart personally and pastorally in this season of life. And my hope is that they'll resonate with you too and can be an encouragement. The other is this. There are more than 23, uh, spoiler alert, that's how many of these there are gonna be. Uh, There are more than 23 prayers in Psalm 119. You could take basically every one of the 176 verses in Psalm 119 and offer them as a prayer prayer. the lord i've just selected a handful because nobody wants to create the time necessary for me to offer you a list of 176 things there also aren't going to be any slides this morning so if you're a note taker that's fantastic um i hope you can at the very least jot down the verse numbers to these different prayers if you're not able to do that Uh, shoot me an email. I'm always willing to share my sermon notes. And so if you like can't keep up or you couldn't get stuff jotted down, I'm more than happy to send you this list. Here we go. The first category of prayers are prayers from scripture for scripture. One of the central themes to Psalm 119 is about longing or craving the word. And so one thing we need in order to make prayer and scripture a regular rhythm in our life is not just discipline and resolve, though those are helpful things. What we need more than that are hunger and desire. And so the right place to start praying at the start of the new year is in that spot. Verse 15 says this, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. Operative words, I will. Those are words of commitment. Sometimes the hardest part of reading your Bible and praying is starting to read your Bible and to pray. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, at some point in your life, you finally start to read your Bible and pray. I mean, every single day when you want to, the hardest part is starting. Finding the time, making the space, Knowing where to go, getting the Bible open, getting yourself and your heart quieted in prayer. Those are the hardest parts. And so sometimes we need a prayer just to get us going. Lord, I will, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. Verse 16, number two I will delight in your statutes, I will not forget your words many times I need the reminder that of all the things I could remember, God's word is the most important. Look, I got all sorts of weird stuff packed in my head up here. Song lyrics from like 1997, weird facts about sports teams. I need the reminder that of all the things I could remember, the word of God is most important. Of all the things that I could stuff into my mind or hide in my heart, God's word is most important. Scripture memory might be something that you want to take on in the new year. This is a fantastic prayer toward that end. God, I will not forget. I won't forget. Number three, verse 18. Open my eyes that, that I may contemplate Wondrous things from your instruction. Some days we come to scripture and our mind is clouded with other things. Our heart has other stuff vying for attention. And it seems as though the eyes of our heart want to look anywhere else. In that moment, just stop and pray. Oftentimes we think of prayer as though it's got to be at least this like 15 minute long experience. No, sometimes it could be 15 words Open my eyes, Lord that I might contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. Here's another piece of that prayer. I don't just want to read the words on the page. I want to wonder at them. I want to be caught up in the glory of God and the beauty of the gospel. I want to get lost in like the unending side streets and alleyways of God's innumerable glories and mercies. I want to wonder, not just read. I read a lot, books, novels, articles on the internet. I want to wonder at God's word, not just read it. I mean, my prayer for you and your Bible reading this year like would be that you get so lost in the forest of God's word that your spouse is like, hey, I'm drowning with the kids over here, wrap it up. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it had been so long. I want to wonder. God, open the eyes of my heart so that I can wonder. Verse 24, your decrees are my delight and my counselors. By counselors there, scripture does not mean therapists, like advisors would be the better phrase. So before we run to human counselors or advisors, We need the reminder to turn to God's word. Oh, that we would delight in the counsel he has to offer us. And that's not to say that human advisors and counsel is bad. In fact, scripture tells us that human advisors and counsel is good. The only way that you would know that is if you're seeking God in his word. And then here's the other side of that. Man, I mean, I love all of you guys, but sometimes we give terrible advice. And so even I'm trying to follow Jesus the very best I can and somebody comes to me with the situation, I fire something off the top of my head and 10 minutes later, I'm like, why in the world did I give them that advice? I'm like scrambling for a text message or a phone call to say, hey, disregard the last thing I said, because the more I thought about scripture, the more I realized there's a better path forward. Oh, that we would delight in the counsel of God's word. Verse 27, help me understand the meaning of your precepts so that I can meditate on your wonders. That is the beginning point of many a sermon for me. Lord, help me understand the meaning of this. Some passages are difficult. The understanding is hard. Help me understand God because I want to meditate on your wonders. What does it mean that you're a jealous God? Why in my Bible reading plan, when I get to the book of Judges, God, why are you doing some of the things I see you doing? I don't understand. Help me understand so that I can meditate on your wonders. Verse 72. Instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I'll make the first confession this morning. Someone approached me and they said, you can have unlimited funds or scripture for the rest of your life. That's a hard decision. Like you can be Scrooge McDuck and just do backflips into your vault of money or you can swim in the word of God for the rest of your life. Which do you want? Look, I want my heart to say, oh, piece of cake decision. I would choose the word of God and never regret what I left behind. But I'm willing to be honest. That's a hard choice. Some days, my heart not only needs the reminder of the value of God's word, but I need to pray a prayer for me to be in a place, not the about the place that I'm in. Oh, Lord, make it so that I would value your word more than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 136. Now, I'm going to read this verse, and I'm going to ask you to give me a moment to explain. My eyes pour out streams of tears because people do not follow your instructions. I think I'm describing a common experience here when I say this is a great prayer for when something happens in the world or you interact with something on social media or you have a conversation with somebody and you go to scripture to rage read in order to find your proof text for why it is that they're so embarrassingly wrong. So that you can post it in the comments or make your own post or whatever the case might be. My eyes pour out streams of tears because people do not follow your instruction. We would do much better to pour our heart out to the Lord in those moments than our thoughts out via our keyboard. We would do much better to pray that people would fall in love with the Word of God. And by the Word of God, I mean the capital W, Word of God, Jesus. Because all my thoughts about how wrong they are will matter not one bit unless their heart is so captivated by Jesus that suddenly God's word matters to them. And so maybe in those moments, like, let's just turn to prayer. God, my, my eyes and my heart, they just pour out tears. Because people don't love your word. Would you use me to help people love your word and your son? Verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth. Each of your judgments endures forever. Operative phrase in this one being entirety. Look, eventually you're going to run into passages of scripture that feel like a slog. The first like nine chapters of First Chronicles is just a list of stuff. Okay, like... The entirety of your word is truth. What is here, Lord? Help me to see it and to cherish it. There will be parts of the reading plan that you honestly don't know what you're supposed to do with, but give your heart the gentle reminder, all scripture is God-breathed. All of it is useful, even the parts that I don't entirely understand. Next sort of category. These would be prayers for obedience and sanctification. In some seasons of life, we have a hard time getting into scripture or engaging with the Lord in prayer because of the weight and the shame we feel as a result of our sin. Our own sin and brokenness makes it seem as if it's impossible or just inappropriate to read the Bible and pray. Like I feel so dirty That like, it's got to be almost wrong for me to open up God's word or to come before him in prayer. Those are the times when we need it the most. John Piper says that there are two ways to talk about the purpose of life. You can talk about it in the positive, that the purpose of life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever, or you can talk about it in the negative, that the purpose of life is to glorify God by avoiding sin. And he says that, To do the first is to do the second, and to do the second is to do the first. Prayers for obedience and sanctification. Here's number one, verse 11. I have trusted your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I don't want to sin. So Lord, help me to treasure your word in my heart over and above the thing that my flesh craves. God, help me to treasure your word, not so that my head can be full of facts, not so that I can answer the Bible trivia questions quickly, but so that I might understand the grace and the goodness of Jesus. In all the ways that He's not only forgiven my sin, but also given me the grace necessary to free me from it. Verse 37: Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. We need God to remind us that the things we chase in our sin are worthless. Because in the midst of our sin, we think that the thing that we're chasing is going to be the thing that makes us happy or makes me satisfied or finally brings me peace. Like that thing is finally going to do it. God, open my eyes so that I understand how worthless that thing is. I don't need the vault of money to swim around in. I don't need storage units full of possessions that I can't take with me into eternity. I don't need another look at pornography. I don't need to slander or to gossip. I don't need to tell that lie. It's worthless. And whatever thing I think that's going to get me is worthless. You've got life. Life in your commands. You care enough about me to set before me the way to have life and to have it to the full. The way to have my soul fully and finally filled and at peace. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways, Father. Verse 56 This is my practice. I obey your precepts. Okay, I'll make the next confession. If you asked me to define my practice in life, I don't think I would do it with a simple four word, I obey God's precepts. I want that to be the case. When the commands are easy, that's the case. When the commands don't butt up against my flesh's predisposed uh, proclivities to sin, I obey. Yeah, but when it's hard, I justify. Oh, well, here's why. We need a heart that defaults to obedience rather than sin. Scripture says that when you come to Christ and you are saved by God's grace through faith in him, you get a new heart. But getting that new heart is a little bit like getting a new car or a new house or something. Like you've driven the same car for 10 years. You know where the cup holders are, where the gear shift is. You've got the seat in the right spot and the mirror set to the right place and you get a new one and you've kind of got to learn how to exist in it. That's how it is with your new heart. You've got a new heart by God's grace through faith in Jesus, but you've got to figure out how to exist in it a little bit. God, help me. I've got a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, your word says. Help me get the default of my life to where my new heart is what expresses itself rather than the longings of my flesh. Verse 33. Verse 33. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Look, most often we don't need to be taught what God says and what it means as far as righteous living is concerned. Most of the time the commands are very, very clear. are like, Mom says do the dishes. You don't say, well, can we parse out what do means? What's the tense and like, what was the context of that? And were you talking about the dishes in the sink or did you just mean to get the ones out? Right? No, like, Do the dishes. But there are times, particularly if we're new to the faith, when teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes is a genuine prayer. And if that's where you are in your relationship with Jesus, pray that prayer. Like, Lord, teach me what it is to obey. Teach me what it is to be like Christ. Verse 133. Make my steps steady through your promise. Don't let sin dominate me. The key word in this one is dominate. It can often feel like sin gets completely on top of us and has us pinned down. And what we want in that season or in that place is like the four easy steps whereby sin will no longer dominate me. Just give me the four things. I'll try to discipline myself to do them. And once I do them, sin will no longer dominate me. The much harder road and most often the means by which we are sanctified is we come to God broken by our sin. Lord, help this sin not to dominate me. And you've got that new heart and it's by his grace that you will enact according to his purposes. Like, God, I, I need you to do that work because I've been trying to do this and it's not working for me. God, by your grace, help sin not to dominate me. Verse 167, last one in this category. I obey your decrees and love them greatly. Keyword in this one, love. Look, we need God to teach us how to love his commands, not just sort of endure them. Like you're reading in the epistles or you're reading... And the gospels or something like that, and you're seeing the things that Jesus says, and you you're seeing the commands that Scripture gives, and you're kind of like, uh, I guess if I have to. No, like I want to love those. God, God, my flesh wants to oppose them. Would you help me by your spirit to love them deeply? Next category. These would be prayers for seasons of like what we'll call suffering and affliction. And this category, uh, this kind of clumping together of prayers is probably the most pertinent category to my own life in the last like five to seven years or so. Over the last season, life in the Fritzen house has vacillated not really between good and bad or great and not so great. Mostly life in our home has vacillated between terrible and neutral. Like, it feels awful or it feels like for a brief moment, just the bad stopped and we could breathe. And the immediate thought in those kinds of seasons is often to turn away from the rhythms that care for and cultivate our soul and our relationship with God. Why? Just the pain is too great. Like the disappointment is too raw. As time goes on and the discouragement piles up, apathy kind of takes over and it's, hard, it's just hard to care anymore. And yet those are seasons when we need God's word and presence more than ever. They become, like God, God's word and his presence become the only thing dripping refreshing water into the parched reality of our weary and burdened hearts. Again, this is gonna sound like preacher talk, but in many days over the last season of life, I mean it genuinely, And earnestly, the only bright spot has been the radiance of the Son of God exploding on the pages of Scripture. That's it. And my dumb self is making like eight minutes for that in the morning because I got other stuff that I need to do. And I can't figure out why everything feels black and difficult and heavy. And probably something like 250 out of the last 300 weekends in that stretch. The only way I've had anything to offer our congregation or our staff from this spot is because God has been ever faithful in his presence with me and his goodness toward me as I've dragged myself back to him. I mean, he's always there, never leaving. Psalm 119 has incredible things to say about those places in life. Verse 25, my life is down in the dust. Give me life according to your words. Not life according to the plans and goals that I had. Not life according to the, accept, to the success as I define it. Not life according to the things that I thought I was going to accomplish. Not life according to my shifting and changing emotions. Give me life according to your word. Capital W. Give me life according to Jesus. I'm in the dust down here, Lord. Like I feel like I'm choking on the dust. There's so much of it. Give me life. verse 50 This is my comfort in affliction Your comfort has or your promise has given me life That's my comfort My comfort is not that my circumstances are going to change my comfort is not that The stuff that feels like it's not going well is suddenly going to start going well. No, my comfort in the midst of affliction is your promise. And what is this promise? I've given you everything in my son. Like everything your heart could possibly need. There it is. And I want that to be true in my heart. And I've got to like pray it into existence. This is my comfort. God, this is my comfort and my affliction. Your promise has given me life. Nothing else will. Verse 71. Warning, this one's not fun to pray. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. I have found myself probably 50 times or more praying this prayer and then just kind of like sitting in the silence with God and weeping and allowing Him to remind me that He loves me too much To allow my desire for comfort or ease or success to poison my soul. He will not do it. And if he's got to afflict me in order to free me from that, he will do it and he will be good because of it. And I was just sit there in prayer and like weep before him because I want comfort. Like I want ease. I want things to go well. He wants me to arrive in heaven more sanctified and like Jesus than I've ever been in my entire life. And God, I want to be on that page. I want to long for that. So much so that I would be able to say, God, it's good for you to afflict me if it makes me more like Jesus. I don't want to pray that ever, but I typically need to. I need to be reminded of how the pain of life has sanctified me in ways that comfort never was going to. Verse 76 is a good one to pair with that one. It says this, May your faithful love comfort me as you promised your servant. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Paul says that God is the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us. That's a promise. In the Old Testament, God has the following names. Jehovah Jireh, the God who protects. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Jehovah Shalom, God our peace. Jehovah Nisi, God my refuge. Jehovah Shema, God is present. God, it's good for me to be afflicted, Lord, but comfort me in the affliction because this is awful (laughs) and this is hard. And he promises that he will. Verses 116 and 117, just a few of these left. Sustain me as you promised and I will live. Do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Sustain me so that I can be safe and always be concerned about your statutes. Sustain me, Lord. Let me not be ashamed of my hope that's in you. Let me always be concerned about the gospel in your word. Like if I'm going to seek safety, if I'm going to seek comfort, let it be for that reason. Not so that I can be pain free in my life, but let my safety and my comfort and my ease make it so that I can be only concerned about the gospel and the word of God. Sustain me, Lord. Verse 132, turn to me and be gracious to me as is your practice toward those who love your name. That's his character. My heart needs the reminder. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Every time you go to him, he's going to be there. Verse 165, abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction Nothing makes them stumble. Peace is not in our circumstances. Peace is in Him. And because of Him, we can rest confidently in the fact that though it may feel like in a broken world, we're just constantly being knocked down, we're never going to stumble when we stand upon the rock, ever. Abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction, and nothing makes them stumble. Verse 175, let me live and I will praise you. In my darkest moments, I need the reminder that to live is Christ. I need the reminder that every day in this world, though difficult and weighty and unpleasant at times, is an opportunity to praise God. Every season, the afflicted ones and the comfortable ones, opportunities to praise him. Let me live, Lord, and I will praise you. Last category, and also the last prayer. I only put one of these in here. Psalm 119 is full of them, but this would be a prayer of praise. Lord, you have treated your servant well, just as you promised. He's treated me well. He's never giving me snakes when I asked for fish or stones when I asked for bread. That's not who he is. The problem is that oftentimes he's offering me fish and I want a snake and he loves me too much to give it to me. He's offering me bread and I'd rather gnaw on a stone. He loves me too much to give it to me. Lord, you've treated your servant well, just as you promised. Look, our great confidence is not that if we complete the reading plan Right? We keep up with things. We pray X number of minutes a day. We got X percentage of attendance at our small group or worship on Sundays. Our great confidence is not that God is going to love us because we do those things. Our great confidence is not that he's going to hear our prayers because the report card is good enough. Our great confidence is that because of Jesus, our prayers are heard. And they aren't just heard, they're answered. No, it might not always be the answer that we want or the one that we were looking for. But because of Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father in glory right now, every time you offer up a prayer in all of your brokenness and in all of your sin, the righteous Son of God takes that prayer and presents it to the Father, and He hears it. My hope for you in the new year is is not that you just like, you know, make some resolutions and stick to them. My hope for you is not that you finish the Bible reading plan. It is not that your prayer life looks X, Y, and Z. My prayer for us as a congregation and for each one of you as individuals is that in 2023, you crave Jesus more than you ever have before. That's it. And I don't know where you are in the midst of that right now in this season, but that's my longing for you. That in 2023... You want to wring every last drop of joy out of your relationship with Jesus. That that's the place you run to. That's the place you find refuge. That's the place you find peace and joy and comfort. When we don't know what to pray, we can turn to Scripture. Scripture. When the scripture doesn't seem to get our heart all fired up, we can just let the Holy Spirit intercede on our behalf and we can know with certainty that before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. That's what you have. Oh, that we would crave him more and more and more and more. And trust that when we turn to him, he is faithful to turn to us and to plead on our behalf before the Father. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and sing together.